Welcome to the RE Human Layer Security Podcast, the show that flips the script on cybersecurity. I'm Tim Sadler, the CEO and co-founder of Tessian, and in each episode, I'll be interviewing IT and business leaders about why we need to protect people, not just machines and data, to stop breaches and empower businesses to achieve their missions. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm extremely excited to welcome my guest today, Javad Malik. As a lead security advocate for Know Before, Javad has had a cybersecurity career spanning over 20 years. He's a blogger, event speaker, and industry commentator who is best known as one of the industry's most prolific video bloggers. I hope you enjoy listening to the interview. Javad, I've given the audience a small overview of your expansive career. Uh, it'd be great if you could introduce yourself, tell us about your journey into the security industry and why you found video blogging such an outlet to get your knowledge out into the world. Oh, well, uh, thank you for having me. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Um, oh, how did I get into the industry? So so when I started, like a lot of people my age, um, there wasn't actually a cybersecurity industry. It was just technology and IT teams, and there was a, a few people doing some element of security. So I, I done my degree in one of those um, business studies and IT mashed up computer science degrees. Uh, it was called business information systems. And as part of that, I had a, a one year work placement, which I uh, managed to land at a bank in their IT security team. I had no idea what they did, but it was a work placement. So I, I went and took it. Uh, a lot of it was resetting passwords, setting up accounts and provisioning permissions on servers and what have you. But um, it, was a, it was a great team, though. There, there's only about eight of us in the whole teams doing security for the whole bank. So, you know, the same bank today, I think they have about a team of 200 uh, security people in there in, in different teams. So I think that, that just shows how, how far the industry has moved. But, um, but yeah, no, I really enjoyed it there. They, they seemed to like me. They said, hey, why don't you come back and join us full time once you finished? And I did. And so I, I, that's how I entered the industry. And that's where I've stayed ever since. And Javad, why is video uh, your outlet? Like, how did you get to video? Oh, so, so when I was young, um, I think I was in primary school and um, there was one of those Muppet movies came out where Kermit and Fonzie, you know, they, they all wanted to go to Hollywood. And me and my friend, uh, we were like, we should go to Hollywood and become movie stars. And I think that stuck with me throughout my life. And while I, I'd, I've not made it to Hollywood yet, might I add, um, there, I, I have always been fascinated by, uh, say, like the YouTube phenomenon since it, it, it exploded. And I thought, this is just so amazing. Like, you can sit at home, you can script, shoot, edit, and publish. There's no middle people at all in that whole process and i i really liked how there was like lots of youtubers out there and they all had their own distinct style and 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 vibe but i thought you know this is something i could do and i want to do um and i thought well i work in it security i want to do videos um no one else at the time seemed to be doing any videos around this maybe there's a couple of talking heads or uh, tutorials on how to do certain things, but there wasn't anything in that traditional YouTuber style, and that's what I wanted to play around with. So I started it off just as a as an experiment, and it 
ended up resonating with a lot of people. So um, I just stuck to it. Um, I, I think people just like inf- different people consume information in different ways. Um, and they like creating information in different ways. And I think for me, YouTube was that creative outlet that that scratched that itch of, um, uh, you know, wanting to go to Hollywood from a young age. <laughs> and when you started video blogging, was there much being done within uh, video blogging about security? Or were you one of the first bloggers to be talking about cybersecurity? Yeah, I don't think there was anyone really talking about cybersecurity not as a as a dedicated channel there'd be other like general tech bloggers who uh, vloggers who might talk about security as a as an addition at times but i don't think there was anyone doing what i was doing and i i, I don't need to sound arrogant when i say there was no one doing what i was doing but I, I i think because i a lot of my most popular videos were ones that were kind of inside jokes for the industry as well it's kind of like a satirical look at our industry some jokes some you know uh humor like that so i think that resonated quite a lot within the security community because it sort of like some some element of poking fun at ourselves some education element all, all sort of like blended together and and i think that's what uh, no one else was doing at that time at all So let's talk about cyber. Over the past few years, we've seen some of the most prolific attacks on organizations where uh, cyber criminals have utilized some pretty sophisticated ways to get through security defenses. Could you explain to our listeners some of the interesting ways that you're seeing uh, those attackers gain access to organizations? What techniques are they using? So, you know, there's been quite a lot of discussion around this in like what what actually constitutes that sophistication or that that advanced way of getting in and about a year ago i i actually done i i started looking into threat intelligence reports that are published from different vendors and i went through about a hundred of them in in one go that were all published within one one calendar month and it it was apparent there's like the there's three really primary ways that criminals get get through defenses and into organizations they they either take advantage of unpatched vulnerable software uh, that's internet facing uh, they'll either compromise credentials somehow so either it's if it's through password reuse or, or or something like that or it's social engineering and there's not really anything else beyond that i mean there's a long tail you could say like especially when it comes to very targeted attacks against specific individuals then you've got you know custom malware and all that kind of stuff but generally these these are the ways that uh, criminals are basically getting their their foothold into the organization now i think what we're seeing now is is a blended approach of those and uh what i mean is that there's this kind of like that how do we get the user to help us bypass the technology because our technologies on the defensive side are pretty robust these days they're 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 a far cry from what they were uh 20 odd years ago so uh i I think that one of the 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 ones i like or i say like with the making air quotes but is uh annoying being annoying as a as a as a tactic so we've seen that with uh some of the mfa bypass attacks where 
they'll trigger the the push notification to people's phone repeatedly, repeatedly, and to in an attempt to annoy them. And then they'll call them up with that social engineering side and say, "Hey, we're from your IT team. There's some activity there. Just click accept, and the the alerts will go away." And people just like you know, just get this off my my phone. I, I don't have time for this. Um, so so those kinds of attacks I think are are quite interesting, where they're layering a a a, a social engineering element over. At, you know credentials that they might have captured or what have you to make it a, a more uh, effective uh, or reliable vector and why are we seeing such a proliferation of social engineering attacks why the rise of them uh they they work i i think that that's the 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 way it goes um the, the tools uh, a lot of organizations that have got in place they've got they've invested really well in their technology stack so you have all your perimeter control, your endpoint controls, you have some monitoring and detection and, and response controls all in place. But, you know, there, there's there, there's always a person behind it that can say, oh, there's an alert, ignore the alert. Or are you sure you want to enable this macro? Yes, I'm sure. Override whatever the, 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 the software is saying. Or e- even if it's like one of those BC type emails where, there's no attachment to it. There's nothing there for for anyone to scan or or block. Then those things uh, just work. And you know, ultimately, I think because we come a lot of I say we as in like a lot of security professionals come from a technical background. So we're thinking, well, how do we defend the technology? And initially, that's what a lot of uh, you know attackers were doing. Like, how do we attack the technology? But what we're seeing is their minds have shifted. They, they don't care whether they compromise the tech or not, as long as they can get what they want out of it, achieve their objective, which is either get information out of you or, or steal your money. So they're looking at it from a purely tech agnostic business perspective. Uh, and that's where the social engineering really comes in. And I think as, as defenders, we need to stop thinking of it purely from a tech stack perspective and start thinking of it like, okay, what are these criminals after? They're after our IP, uh, our customer uh, customer list, or or or, or money, uh, you know, hold up ransomware or something like that. So let let's start defending in that context, as opposed to how do we stop this server from being compromised or this Windows box from being popped? I was going to ask you about technology. The security tools used in most organizations don't seem to be up to the task of dealing with social engineering. What are your thoughts on that? And where do you think the vulnerability is most apparent? Uh, I I mean, I think it's I think it's not entirely fair uh, in in a broad space to say that the tech is not up to the task. I think the tech is excuse me the tech is doing what it was meant to do, which is forcing the criminals to go into social engineering to, to attack the human. If, if the tech was not up to the task, they could go straight through without even having to, uh, to, to touch him. Like, you know, if you could conduct a SQL injection attack on a website and get all the credit card details and all the customer information, you don't need to really do that. But because we've, we've gotten better, and again, I'm using air quotes. I don't know why I'm using air quotes on a podcast where no one can see me. But <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you see what I'm saying? It's like if they could get in um, easily, they they would. So I think that it's just the limitations of what tech can do um, and where 
human responsibility begins. It's it's a bit like, I suppose, cars. Um, they are, I don't know how many times more secure today than what they were before. There's there's ABS, there's uh, obstacle detection, there's lane um, sort of detection controls. Uh, there's those little lights that come on on your rear, on your side mirrors when there's a car in your blind spot. All those kinds of things are there that make our cars a lot secure. But you still need to rely on the person driving the car to make those those decisions. So you can't just say, oh, well, the technology is not doing its job. It's doing its job, but there's a, a limit up until what it can do it. Ultimately, there, there needs to be a person that takes that uh, that last decision. Let's talk about that. So security awareness training is a topic that you are very passionate about. Um, what can we do to help enhance the security culture within the organization as security leaders? Yeah, so, so I think this is just like the, the absolute right question. It's uh, And I think that the, the way we need to think about this is not as tech people and definitely not as trainers, but rather we need to think about human behaviors as a whole. And we need to think about how to, how to encourage people. And that's very different. If you come from a tech background, you'll be like, okay, there's these 50 vulnerabilities. Let's patch these. Let's put in place this control. And that's job done. But people are very different. Um, you can't just tell them once, say, don't do this. You need to remind people repeatedly. And so I think what we need to do is think more like uh, marketers. Think in terms of campaigns. Think, okay, for our organization, what is the top one or two behaviors that are really causing us issues? And that's not hard to do. You can see, you know, through your incident logs, what what has caused incidents or what are things that you're most worried about. So, and, and then you can just set about a marketing campaign, which is smaller content, but more frequently across different mediums. So that can involve things like uh, uh, giving them the uh, video modules to to, re uh, to to watch. You can give them policies to read. You can put up little screensavers. You can have posters in in common areas. You can you know do all these sorts of things. You can you can have some of your leaders talk about these things in the team meetings, and by doing this, we can identify within the organization. There's going to be certain people that are going to be more uh, security minded, so to speak. So they'll be more inclined to, to, to be interested. And what you then do is say, okay, you're our champions. You're the people, you, you 5% or 10%, whatever of our population, you're our security champions. Let's embed you into our, our program. Let's give you more information and you can feed us back information from, from the front lines as well and take it from there and make it a collaborative experience and by doing that, you'll slowly see people start to adopt behaviors. We, we, we all do that. I mean, I mean, if you join an organization today uh, or, or you join a Zoom call with a new organization or a video conferencing call and everyone has got their cameras turned on, even if you're one that doesn't turn your camera on, you will say, oh, this is the way they do things around it. I should turn my camera on as well. So you get to this point where you don't necessarily need to tell people to do something. They'll just observe and they will adopt accordingly. I think for a lot of people listening to this podcast, they'll be thinking, hey, we have a security training program in place at our company. What are the pitfalls to avoid, in your opinion? 
you know, with traditional approaches to security awareness training, what are some of the things that organizations get wrong and it means that it maybe isn't as effective or it just doesn't stick or change the culture in a positive way? Oh, yeah. So I think a lot of companies are still really guilty of doing stuff that they were doing 15 years ago, which is once a year rolling out. (laughs) I'm going to date myself. They roll out the older video player on TV on a stand and say, okay, everybody gather around and they put in the tape and they play it. And it's like 45 minutes of someone with a very boring uh, tone telling you the do's and don'ts. Uh, so, okay, maybe it's it, it's slightly improved from that, but once a year, forcing everyone to sit through something, forcing them to take a, a quiz at the end of it, uh, just to tick a compliance box is the wrong way of going about it. I think, even when people use modern techniques and tools, I think that one of the biggest problems uh, they 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 run into is the pushback from people. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is they haven't built a good relationship with their colleagues within the organization. So it's really easy to set up a phishing email and send it out to everyone. Uh, anyone can do that. The problem is if you don't tell people that you're going to do it and why you're going to do it and why it's important and bring them on board. They will receive that email. They will see it's a phishing email and they might fall for it and say, oh, you you fell for this. And they will just, you'll just get their back up. They will, they will not leave with a good feeling. And I think that's what we really, really need to focus on is like, you know, bring into the, the real world, humanize your colleagues, talk to them about it. So that when they do experience a training moment, whether it be a phishing email, whether it be some uh, content they have to read and understand and, and agree to or what have you, they understand the value that this is for our benefit uh, individually and for the, for the organization as a whole. I think if we can focus on that, we can really um, elevate the, the, the discussion. We hear a lot in the news about ransomware and just how prevalent this threat is. Um, What are your thoughts on the rising risk of ransomware? And what are some of the ways our security leaders can enhance their defenses against this? Because I guess this is also one of the uh, more common payloads that is delivered through social engineering or one of the common consequences of social engineering as well. It is, yes. Um, It is a very common uh, payload. And the thing with ransomware is, there's so many variants out there there and you have like the very skilled like state-sponsored actors using it to to raise funds for for their for their government uh you have little lone kiddies out there in the world who've downloaded something to do, to do it and then you've got like these organized criminal gangs who set up like ransomware as a service so anyone can sign up subscribe to it like amazon i suppose and say okay run this campaign for us and we'll give you a 10% cut off any ransom that's been received. So it is a huge industry now. And there are so many uh, models. It's it's kind of like a big, uh, big corporate model that that goes behind it. So, you know, we, we are going to continue to see this. I don't think it's going away anytime soon. And uh, so, you know, what, while like having backups or tested backups, should I say, offline and recovery controls is is absolutely critical. Um, what we're seeing is a lot of like double ransomware going on. So the criminals will 
get or double extortion should i say where they'll get into your network they'll first steal a whole bunch of your data and then they'll encrypt your data so they'll say okay pay us and we'll give you the key to decrypt and you pay them and if you do and then you decrypted your 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 data and then they say oh by the way we also took a copy of all of your data so if you don't want us to leak this publicly why don't you pay us again and it becomes a really mob style shakedown that you used to see in the movies um yeah this is a nice shop you got here i wouldn't want anything bad to happen um so th- this kind of thing will 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 carry on it's it's very well funded now so um you know i think people play such a big role in defending their company against this and because it's such and it's such a visible attack vector it, it's it's not something you can hide it's something that every employee every partner every customer will see or oh, all your systems are down it must be run somewhere so you know educating people about the severity of it how it could impact the organization and every employee really because if the if the company can't recover from that or there's a big financial hit it could impact everyone's salary um i think it becomes quite real to everyone then and that i think can be leveraged as part of the conversation say okay this is really bad but the good news is we can all do something about it and these are the things we need to look out for and so you know having in place that that training but importantly having in place a way for people to report anything suspicious is really really critical there's no point in saying to people well you know be suspicious of emails because yeah i could be suspicious of an email but if i've got no way of reporting it or I, it's a long winded process to say let me raise a ticket and what have you no one's really going to do it so i think that's where we need that that two way integration between the security team and their colleagues so a, a quick and easy way for them to report and for them to investigate and then respond yeah so the easier we make it to report the more effective the reporting is going to be it makes total sense you do a lot of work with customers you talk to them about vulnerabilities and you know you do an assessment of their security stack uh, on a regular basis what are they most surprised by like what are the most common surprises you see when you're talking with customers about their security posture and their security stack yeah so so this is um, a a friend of mine who's a CISO he told me this years ago this is something he he used to do when he whenever he went into a new organization or a new department or something and this is something that i think it surprises most most security leaders um you ask them well how do you think your security program is and they'll be like it's really good we've got this 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 in place okay excellent can we go over to a random employee within the building and ask them do you know where the security policy is do you know how to find it um or or even start with do you know if we have a security policy yes or no do you know where it is yes or no uh do you know what what's within it yes or no and do you know how to report something if you if you know it's easy to say challenge that stranger or uh report a phishing email or do this but do you know how to do that yes or no and this is i think the the biggest eye opening moment for most security leaders in their organizations that what they think or what they perceive to be the level of knowledge within or or the or the security awareness or the of the culture amongst their staff uh, versus the reality that is in 9 times out of 10 that is always a a big surprise and 
what do you normally see there? Do you normally see that organizations, I would imagine not a lot of people can answer those questions. Not a lot of people do know where to report security incidents. So if that is the case, what should those companies be doing to get to a better posture? Yeah. I, so for this, I think, you know, we hear a lot these days about zero trust. And that's a really good model. I, I, I have no beef with that. But I think we need to really be focusing for the user on zero friction. And, and what I mean by that is have the information that's relevant to them available at a time that they need and make it easy for them to access. So uh, like, like we discussed, like you see a phishing email, you want something like a, a quick tool, like click here, it's taken out of your inbox, it's not your headache anymore. Because at, we're not trying to make our our colleagues security experts. We don't expect people to be hovering over links and, you know, then investigating the links or trying to forensically examine what the attachment is. No, we just say, hey, does this give you a bad feeling? Yes. Okay. Boom. Click this. Job done. And and then someone that does have the resources to investigate it properly can then go into it, look into it, and uh, you know, report back. So um, I think we the more we can reduce the friction. Similarly, like you know, when, when you design a system and there's a password field there, it's been shown that having things like a password meter or a you know, so you type in your password and it starts off being weak, and then the the stronger you make the password, it says, "Oh, this is a strong password," or it changes from a sad to a smiley face. It's really good. It, it just nudges people in that in that direction. So rather than having a separate policy saying your password must be X number of characters and include an uppercase, lowercase, you know, blood of your first child and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's just simple that at the point that they're entering the password, there's a, there's a little nudge there that says, hey, this would be a really good idea if you do it this way. And I think that those kinds of things are are, are, are what can really get people on board and give them the information they need at the time they need it in an easy way. Javad, thanks for your time today. We always finish up our interviews with some quick questions to get to know the humans on the Human Layer Security Podcast a bit better. Um, so tell us, what's your favorite city in the world? Oh, without a doubt, London. I have born and brought up here. And every time I travel, I come back and I'm like, yep, no place like home. I couldn't agree more. Um, if your schedule's cleared for the day, what do you do with your time? I hop on my motorbike and go for a long ride. Where do you ride to? Uh, anywhere the bike the bike heads, just any direction. I, I don't really care. And what's one book you'd recommend to our listeners? Oh, do you, are you thinking of a security book or a, uh, any book? Any book. The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. And why that book? Um, I think we especially in the security industry, have a tendency to get take things a bit too seriously. We let things wind us up. We go on rants and raves. We argue with each other on Twitter and LinkedIn and everything. And I think that book is so good in just balancing you out and say, you know what, certain things are just not worth the trouble. Just let it go. Javad, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. And thanks for spending time with us. Thank you very much.
And that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. We'll be back with more Human Layer Security Insights in our next episode. But if you can't wait that long, you can visit our blog at tessian.com forward slash blog, where you'll find lots of amazing content, advice, and tips. And if you enjoyed our show, please rate and review it on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. 